This is the Truth About Investing Back to Basics podcast, where we want to help you take control of your personal finance and long-term investments. If you're looking for a way to learn the why and how of investing, then you've found the right place. Thank you for taking the time to learn how to better yourselves. to share some southern phrase idioms because I'm wanting to learn more because I think they're oh, funny. I just, I want to have more of these available. Uh, like, his cornbread ain't done in the middle. Yep. Uh, oh yeah, we totally did go through some of these. That's right. Uh, having a come to Jesus meeting, I still do that. I still say that. Well, butter my butt and call me a biscuit. I need to slide that in somewhere this week. The the phrase, not the butter. <laughs> I was like that. That follow up <laughs> comment was. <laughs> I just, sorry, I realized after afterward. I uh, this is this is not that kind of show. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the ever so classic. Bless your heart. Yes, which can mean oh so many things yes but mostly bad <laughs> yes mostly bad <laughs> there's there's nothing quite worse than like hey uh can you can you tell me what the uh, the answer to two plus two is uh, it's seven. Oh, honey bless your heart <laughs> like, yeah that's that's it cuts you real deep that's what it does <laughs> uh my actually one of my personal favorites just because i think it's a good visual is the uh uh, like a bull in a china shop. I, yeah. I work with a lot of people that are like bulls in a china shop. <laughs> it probably works to their advantage in your line of work. You know, sometimes it does. Just like, go, go, go do stuff. And then they go in there and things crash and then things get better. And you go, oh, well, good job. <laughs> I ain't well, when you start out with a place that's on fire, I mean. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, that's actually kind of the beauty of it is that there's not a lot you can do to make it, you know, worse. worse. <laughs> like <laughs> the, pretty much the only way you can make it worse is by not doing anything is kind of right. what I've started to find. So yeah, don't, don't throw any more fuel on right. it, I suppose, but right. Go do stuff. Okay. You didn't do enough stuff. Go do more stuff. Okay. I ain't seen you in a month of Sundays. God, how long is that? That's like, like if it was a bunch of Sundays. It'd be 30 or, months. Well, I, I mean, I get it's a month. Like, it's not like the whole, you know, what's know, what's heavier, a pound of feathers or a pound of... Divided by four. Huh? You got to divide by four, so it'd be seven and a half months. Seven... Well-ish. <laughs> it's not perfect. A month yeah. of Sundays is approximately seven and a half months. Okay. Okay. Maybe you should start doing that. Where like somebody probably closer to seven. Somebody talks to you about like, hey, uh, we we're gonna reevaluate your portfolio here in uh, approximately a month of Sundays. Like, uh, well, but <laughs> what? Oh, it's about seven and a half months. It's uh, it's a good, it's a solid investing amount. You know, a month of Sundays. <laughs> should I still talk to this guy? <laughs> That's like uh, Fortnite. Just number, you know. Oh. Time frames that people are not familiar with anymore. Yeah, 
Absolutely. Yeah. I should use the term Fortnite instead. Like you should. We uh we we get paid once a fortnight. Uh, <laughs> full as a tick on a hound dog. <laughs> Hanging in there like hair in a biscuit. Ah. <laughs> uh. Oh, you know what? Actually, I heard one the other day that was real good. Uh they're more more confused than a fart in a fan factory. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Uh, oh, you know what? This is a good one. Okay. Now, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how to how to tie this in there. Uh, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. To I've I've got a plan here. Just stick with me. All right. <laughs> okay. Uh, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Truth About Investing. Back to basics, where common sense isn't a flower that grows in everyone's garden. Jeez. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and here we we like to grow those flowers and, and have that green thumb available. Cultivate those flowers. <laughs> Cult- <laughs> we, we like to water water that lawn. Uh, <laughs> Welcome back. My name is Chris Holling. I'm Sean Cooper. And I'm wondering what we're supposed to be doing. I don't, today. I don't know anymore. <laughs> I, it's it's. There's there's certainly not enough butter in in my biscuit, or is that what it was? I just dang it, butter? No, uh, whatever. No, it's, it was uh, butter. My button called me a bit. All right, the yeah. cornbread. It had to do with the cornbread oh, right. being baked all yeah. the way or something. There's just so many. I now I'm gonna confuse yeah. those where it's gonna be like you know, a uh, piece of undone cornbread doesn't grow in everyone's garden. You're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> you the biscuit farmer? <laughs> or like the. Uh, like with Boondock Saints or whatever, the, uh, you know, because what they say, people in glasses houses, glass houses sink ships. Like, yeah, a, a penny <laughs> saved is worth two in the bush, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> whatever. Uh, yeah, welcome, welcome back, everybody. Uh, I should watch that show this weekend. Oh yeah, that, you should. I like that movie. It's a great movie. Yeah. Uh, we today we are talking about security analysis, right? Right. Yes, indeed. Ooh, good. Okay, I, I I guessed that without even having to pull up the lesson plan. Look at me go. So today we're going to go over security analysis, and uh, uh, I I've I've kind of guessed what security analysis was in the last episode. The the security analysis, uh, sort of, kind of. But if I'm recalling correctly, security analysis uh, is is when you have a bouncer that that <laughs> looks at a line of people and analyzes the situation, and uh, that's that's when they get in that that uh, big old crossed arms thing, and they go, yeah, you, uh, yeah, you, uh, no, not you, not you, no, you, you sit over there, that's, uh, yeah, you, and uh, uh, that's that's yeah, that's about right. Let's 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 do that. That's 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 security analysis, right? Sure. Okay. Yep. Good. You okay. got it. Uh, and then, <laughs> no, I, I I remember that we were kind of trying to talk about it, and it, it took forever to sort through my my thoughts on it, uh, whatever on the on the second episode. So, how about you tell us what we're doing today, rather than me really confusing everybody? 
So security analysis is really just a continuation of the topics that we've been discussing up to this point. So um, we, we talked about fundamental and technical analysis. Those are aspects of security analysis. We also talked about portfolio analysis. Uh, that would be analyzing the overall mix of the portfolio, whereas here we're delving into each individual holding, uh, which is why the, the technical and the fundamental can apply. It largely depends on your investment time frame and what you're investing in, how you're investing in it, things of that nature, and then your overall methodology. Okay. Okay. That sounds good. And uh, so how do, we, how do we get started with it? Just well, we we mentioned previously that uh, there are, for fundamental analysis, uh, you often looked at ratios uh, to help analyze uh, companies. So we can jump into those in a little bit more detail, or at least uh, list them out, so that people have an idea of what they might be looking for and how they might be used. Um, we can also talk a little bit more about. Uh, some of the methodologies that I tend to prefer. Um, and then there's some other ancillary options that we can discuss that may be of use depending, again, on your investment time frame and, and what you're trying to achieve with your investments. Okay. Well, uh, explain it to me like I'm five. Uh, I'll, you know what? I'll take eight. I'll do eight. Yeah, let's go a little older because yeah. uh, I don't know too many five-year-olds <laughs> like to get a lot of this. Like a really smart eight. I'll go with that. Okay. Yeah, All smart right. eight, but like, you know, sometimes gaps and, and then you realize that, you know, while I'm interested, I might want a bag of gushers or something. Like that. that's the level I'm shooting <laughs> for. That's, that's where we need to go. Okay. Um, well, so as we talked about the fundamental analysis – relies on the financial statements and then ratios from numbers on those financial statements. So uh, one set of financial or uh, ratios that we could evaluate would be liquidity ratios. So how much liquidity does the company have? Do they have uh, the the cash flow or the, the assets to be able to uh, generate the income they need to pay off liabilities and things of that na nature. So you've got the current ratio, which is your current assets divided by current liabilities. You have the acid test ratio, which is your current assets minus inventories divided by current liabilities. And they subtract out inventories there to uh, kind of account for the fact that the inventories aren't necessarily as liquid as the rest of your current assets. Um, the cash ratio, which is cash and cash equivalents divided by current liabilities. So that would be a very, very stringent view of uh, your cash on hand to actually cover those short-term liabilities. And then the one that I've talked about previously, which is operating cash flow ratio, which is your operating cash flow divided by your current liabilities. And you do this when you're comparing these amounts, it's it's to every single asset, right? Or are you are you comparing these within like an asset class? Do you keep them separate as you're comparing these, or is it like we are looking? It wouldn't at necessarily it wouldn't necessarily be an asset class so much as a sector of companies. So, for example, you wouldn't necessarily compare uh, the liquidity ratios of a oil and gas company to um, even a utility company, for example. Okay. Uh, you wouldn't necessarily compare, or you 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 would likely compare like a Google to Apple, 
or uh, Bing or Microsoft. Uh, you know, depending on what level you're investing, I realize one's owned by the other, but you get my point. Um, fight, fight, fight. Yeah, uh, but you wouldn't compare. You you wouldn't be likely to compare a tech company to a you know hard asset company. Right. That makes sense. Okay. The, the, their ratios are completely different. The, the way their balance sheets, their income statements, their statement of cash flows are structured and where they have le- employ leverage and things of like that nature from one industry to another is can be very, very different. So you end up with uh, what looks very good in one industry might actually be really bad in another industry. Gotcha. Okay. So... Yes, you can compare them all across the board. That's the advantage of the ratios, but it, the comparability of them gets very loose as you uh, span different industries. Okay. Okay. Uh, so another set would be your uh, leverage financial ratios. See how much leverage the company is employing. That's one of the things I just talked about. You know, how uh, is this company heavily reliant on debt or are they operating off of their own uh, income sources or their financing ability uh, via like IPOs and things of that nature. So uh, debt ratio is your total liabilities divided by total assets. Debt to equity ratio would be total liabilities divided by shareholders equity. Uh, Interest coverage ratio would be your operating income divided by interest expenses. And then debt service coverage ratio is operating income divided by total debt service. So just different ways of looking at some of the same information. Sometimes you're boiling it down, uh, like I was talking about before, The uh, as you weeded out inventories from current assets and then jump down to cash and cash equivalents for the cash ratio, et cetera, divided by the current liabilities, you're, you're, you're weeding out different aspects that you might not want to include in the ratio that might be skewing what you're really trying to look at. Okay. Um, Efficiency ratios. Those are going to be how effective the company is at turning their inventory into actual cash, Uh, basically doing their day-to-day operations to actually generate uh, revenue and things of that nature. So asset turnover ratio is net sales divided by average total assets. Inventory turnover ratio is cost of goods sold divided by average inventory. Receivables turnover ratio is net credit sales divided by average accounts receivable. And then days sales in inventory ratio is just 365 days divided by inventory turnover ratio. You can adjust that for a leap year if you really want. But And so just just to address a couple things, and I, and I hope that this isn't backpedaling too far, but... The purpose of doing these evaluations is to establish, without without being too direct, the the security and the how stable these investments, these assets that you're evaluating are. Is that right? Potentially, not always. Okay. Uh, really, it's more just for comparing them. Um, okay. So yes, you can use them to establish, uh, like we were talking about, the uh, liquidity earlier, the efficient or the uh, uh, the leverage ratios, those often have to do with security. Uh, same with the uh, liquidity 
ratios, those have to do with security. Efficiency is not necessarily related to security. Uh, same with you know profitability, kind of. Um, market value, same thing, not necessarily directly related to security. A lot of these are used for comparison purposes. So comparing one company to another. Okay, so kind and of like you were addressing earlier with with this is pairing along with your fundamental analysis because it is it is tools that you utilize in the process it's 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 part of Correct. part of that okay yeah so you know oftentimes an analyst is they're typically going to be monitoring a particular industry or a sector and so their job is to pull out which company in the their industry that they are assigned to is going to outperform and so they're comparing a lots of different companies and they use these ratios as one of their starting points for that that comparison purposes okay so when i look at like the cash flow ratio i'll look at a bunch of different companies at the same time and compare them to each other to say okay which one has the better operating cash flow relative to their uh, current liabilities okay Fair enough. And then, while you're while you're doing these, and you are you are evaluating these these different formulas that uh, I mean they they make sense, but you know again we have the the struggle here of of just having an auditory description and and that's it. When you're right. looking at these formulas and the different possibilities, and I get that there are certain circumstances that you want to use different ones, are you able to track down these different types of formulas like a like a I, I don't know if there's a a list per se, but within Investopedia that it goes, these are some of the formulas you may want to consider using when doing a security analysis or something? Uh, I think Investopedia does have a list of them okay. uh, that you could utilize. Uh, Corporate Finance Institute has a list. Uh, I think if you go with a lot of the different designations, so like uh, the CFA, they're going to have a list. They probably have an even more extensive list than any of the others. It's going to, uh, well, most likely it'll be enough to bog most people down. But Sure. I just wanted to make sure that as we're going over this, because I, I don't have the memory capacity to catch all of these and then retain them and just go, oh, yeah, well, of course, you got to do this formula while we're, while we're evaluating that. I'd, I'd need a reference point if I'm going to start doing some of those evaluations myself on how to do those rather Where's than... Where's your legal pad, Chris? Come I on. Don't, I, can't, I can't write <laughs> or read. I didn't know how to break it to you. I, I'm, I'm <laughs> illegitimate. Illegitimate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was good. <laughs> Sorry. Anyways, I, I, just, right. I wanted to make sure that it was like a, hey, you know, th- this is a lot of stuff... Uh, you've you've yes. never done any of these formulas before. Hey, remember these formulas? What do you mean you don't remember those formulas? Okay, like here's a spot that you can go look and grab these formulas if you're going to do those evaluations, which are those spots that you just listed. And that's that's what I was what I was getting at. Yeah, just do a, a quick search, whatever search engine you use of financial ratios. Shall I run through the rest of the uh, ratios yep. and then we can move on? Sure should. Okay, <laughs> so profitability ratios. I, don't think I need to explain that per se. Okay, gross margin ratio is the gross profit divided by net sales. Operating margin ratio is operating income divided by net sales. 
return on asset ratio equals net income divided by total assets, and return on equity ratio is net income divided by shareholders' equity. You'll notice a lot of these have like shareholders' equity built in, and that's because as a shareholder, you want to know how much they're actually generating from your standpoint. Okay. Uh, market value ratios. So these are different ways of valuing the company, if you will. Uh, book value per share ratio is shareholders' equity minus preferred equity, and then all of that divided by total common shares outstanding. Dividend yield ratio is your dividend per share divided by the share price. That one's a very common one for people to utilize. They want to know uh, what their earning rate is from a dividend standpoint. Earnings per share ratio is net earnings divided by total shares outstanding. And then price earnings ratio is the share price divided by the earnings per share. So those are examples of some of the big ones that you might see and might want to uh, consider as you're evaluating different securities. Okay, fair enough. And again, you can so get I those ads. Oh, you can, yeah, I just do a, a quick search of financial ratios on whatever your preferred search engine is. But Investopedia will have them, Corporate Finance Institute will have them, uh, CFA, Chartered Financial Analysts. I prefer to use They're, Netscape uh, as a as an internet browser. <laughs> I, I said the Netscape? search engine, not the browser. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's even worse. I I prefer Netscape's search engine on its browser. I was trying to make a joke. D- damn it, Sean! I know. I just ruined it because I took it too literal. <sighs> yeah, this is you the should hard, be used whole to that relationship. <laughs> you should be used to that by I'm now. Not. I don't know what to tell you then. That's that's on you. Yeah, <laughs> that's <better> on right. you. <laughs> okay. Okay. So uh, as I I think I've, we've talked a little bit before, some of the big ones that I look for are that the operating cash flow. I care a lot about that. Um, when I'm analyzing for, so let me backtrack a little bit. Okay. As I've mentioned, it really depends on what you're choosing to invest in, what you're trying to uh, focus on. So I don't claim to be an expert on stock analysis or bond analysis for every single industry, every single sector, every you know international emerging uh, frontier markets, wh- what have you. There are far too many companies to evaluate if you go that route. You know, screeners can certainly help you narrow things down, but it just becomes cumbersome to try to stay on top of absolutely everything. So it's best to determine what you're going to focus on, what you want to not necessarily be an expert on, but what you want to uh, try to excel at, if you will. So for for myself, if I'm getting down to individual security analysis for stock selection, I'm doing it for large cap domestic equities. I'm not doing it for international. I'm not doing it for micro cap stocks. Um, so large cap domestic equities which gives me an easy screen. I can start with just the S&P 500. The 500 largest uh, companies in the U.S. by market capitalization. That narrows things down very 
very significantly for me to view uh, my my pool of investable companies. The things I look at from there are actually based on research I've done in the past. So I look at, believe it or not, just the stock price. Uh, I've run, I don't know how many different multiple regression analyses, analyses looking Analysis. at... Yeah, sure. <laughs> the, the performance of uh, stocks over, say, a 10-year window. Um, so I'm looking at 10 years plus. I'm not interested in shorter terms. So again, that, that has to do with what you want to focus on. Are you a day trader? Are you just looking for a, a quick return on investment? Or are you a long-term investor? So I'm looking at 10 years plus. And over that time frame, one of the biggest factors in determining your return on investment is actually the initial purchase price. It's that simple. It's really silly, but that is one of the biggest factors. And that has to do with mathematics. If you make $5 on a $100 stock, that's a 5% return on investment. If you make $5 on a $10 stock, that's a 50% return on investment. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So it's simple uh, yeah, mathematics. Yeah, the... Uh, uh, <clears throat> Math checks out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, the flip side of that, the flip side of that is if you're buying cheap stocks, you could be investing in a company that is struggling. There's a reason it's not expensive. So you, you want to make sure that there are other finances, financials uh, that you can evaluate to ensure that the company is not just going to go bust. Um, that, that math works really well for penny stocks, but penny stocks are also very, very risky. That 50 cent stock, there's, you know, a reason that it's 50 cents. You have to uncover what that reason is. Gotcha. It, it might be a non-issue, but it also could be that the company's going to go bankrupt and you're going to lose your entire investment, whatever that may be. So, Another thing that I look for is that cash flow, the operating cash flow, that uh, cash flow ratio, I should say. And that's operating cash flows divided by current liabilities. It's a very strong indicator of how well the company is going to fare in the near-term future. Are they actually in significant trouble? Are they generating all of their cash flow from financing um, as opposed to actually what they're supposed to be in business doing are they going going to continue as an ongoing concern in the future? I also focus on dividend investing. So the, the, the price kind of lends itself towards value. However, I blend that with din- dividend investing because I don't want to be entirely reliant on my returns being from the, the appreciation of the stock price, the appreciation of the value of the company. I like to have a steady dividend to help bolster returns in bull markets and uh, try to add some cushion in bear markets. The dividend of the company can also be a strong indicator of the stability of that company. If it's paying a nice steady dividend, hopefully one that's growing slightly to offset inflation, that tends to be a fairly strong sign. Now, if some of the other factors are not aligning and they're still paying a dividend, so they're they're not generating operating cash flow, but they're still paying a dividend, that's not sustainable. That That is going to be a red flag. Similarly, if they're paying an extremely high dividend relative to their value, you know, you have a, 
a dividend yield, that was one of the other ratios we talked about, that's in excess of 10%, that's something you want to dig into more. You want to find out what's actually going on. Um, why are they paying such a high dividend relative to the stock price? And you want to start comparing that to their earnings and where they're generating their income from, uh, especially relative to their different liabilities and things of that nature. So these are pieces that could either look positive or raise red flags that you need to delve into more. And these are just some of the ones that I tend to focus on personally from my experience. So, And then when you're, I, I don't really know how to ask this, when you're evaluating these things and you're, mm-hmm. you're paying attention to a certain price of something and you do this evaluation, uh, I, I imagine this is pretty subjective and it's just a case-by-case basis, but do you, do you tend to look at the valuation and then, then go, oh, well, this, this isn't working out right, so I'm, I'm just going to stop paying attention to it? Or... Or maybe you do this evaluation, then you go, this is this is something that could change in the future, so I'll come back? Or is... is How do you mean? I, I guess... I'm, when I you know say I'm, it's not working out right. I'm not really asking the question very well. I guess I'm saying when you're doing these evaluations, is this to help establish whether or not to even pay attention to the purchase price of, of something in general? Or is it is it to evaluate if you're still going to remain involved in the in the like is this is this something to continue to check the status of something you're currently invested in or is it to help consider whether or not you're going to make the purchase maybe that's what i'm trying to ask yeah so for me this is to help decide if i'm going to buy into a security okay yeah okay yeah now you can also use it to decide okay is this time to get out like is the company starting to uh, flounder or you know have they they already peaked and I, i need to pull my profits while I can. Um, yeah, you can evaluate any aspect of it. Um, you can also use it to just say, is this a company that I want to continue to monitor? You know, maybe they've got things, some things coming down the pipeline that will put them on a, a good track, And but I want to see how that pans out first. Cool. So those those are all the opportunities that you could use it for. You personally most commonly use it for a consideration as to whether or not you're going to purchase at all. Correct. Okay, cool. I think that's what I was trying to ask without being able to actually speak English, so I appreciate that. Right, yeah. So a day trader, they're probably not going to care about that cash flow that I was talking about. They're they're not going to care about most of those ratios that we discussed because those, they are pictures in time, but they're they're typically used for longer term investing. They, they care more about those, uh, the technical analysis that we talked about, that visual. Um, they might care about you know the, the current stock price because that, that percentage that I talked about really does impact their rate of return. You know, if you can buy something that's quite a bit cheaper than the, a few bucks on a percentage basis goes a lot farther. Yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. So another aspect that we haven't talked about, and because um, we, we've talked a little bit about the time frames and you know why you're choosing to invest, uh, but another area that you might use to evaluate individual securities, and this I, I would argue is not necessarily an evaluation of the security itself, but it is an evaluation of the market, the market's response 
to a security and that there's an entire branch of finance called behavioral finance. And it has nothing to do with actual valuations. It's not even a visual thing. It has everything to do with psychology. It has to do with what, how investors are going to respond. Okay. And that is a very legitimate investment methodology. I don't personally use it, but I can see where it would fit and how it could be very useful, especially in today's market where there is so much information. So mm. what the behavioral finance uh, person might look at, these are just some examples, they might look at today's news and there was you know, some positive news on a company, they might view that as a buying opportunity. However, and this is where it gets very convoluted, they might look at it and go, okay, the positive news is out there, the company has already gone up, I'm going to invest as a contrarian and say that was overblown. People have bought in. It's gone up more than it should have based on that news. Eventually, the it'll blow over and drop back down. So I'm actually going to sell and wait for it to drop back in so I can buy. Like political science investing. Kind of. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. And so the same thing might be true on the, the flip side. So really bad news comes out about a company. And so if you get in early, you sell out right off the bat, you can take advantage of that negative news and ride the downtrend or more likely, you know, you already missed the, the dip that happened. And so you're going to take advantage of the fact that it's likely to have uh, dropped more than it really should have, which it, when things, when news comes out, that is what tends to happen is it uh, tends to swing more widely than what is actually founded based on that information. So uh, people will often buy or sell uh, expecting the, the rebound, if you will. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Actually, I, I think it's, we're, we're far enough away from it that I can reference it. I saw that happen specifically with Boeing once we had the very first mm. initial COVID dip and uh, every, you know, everything came to a, a big hard stop for travel and there was a big, big dip just in general because people weren't flying anymore at all. Right. And I, I think something else happened on Boeing's side that was kind of, I don't want to say political, but uh, kind of PR based. I think it was like discussions about the possibility of bankruptcy or, or something along those lines. But I, I remember watching it dip and dip and dip and dip and I, I personally felt like I knew that it was going to come back and then I, <laughs> I had all my capital tied up in other things so I, I should have done something about it but it, it if you go back and have a look at it I'd have to pull up the exact numbers but it had a significant dip and the return came back relatively quickly in the matter of uh, yep. a couple weeks to a month and it was just specific to what you're talking about where it was it was conversational it was specific to current events that happened and it was uh, in my opinion blown out of proportion via the media yes. which made it a good opportunity to to buy and i see what you're saying about like <laughs> basing it solely on that for every investment doesn't make sense to me but uh, you know opportunities like that do happen and you know absolutely do it's is absolutely important yeah gamestop same thing except on oh the yeah reverse reverse side so yeah um yeah, it, it strictly has to do with the, the psychology of it, and uh, mostly it's psychology of investors and the, the masses kind of trading 
uh, something well out of proportion of what the actual valuation is or should be. Sure. What, so, what did you call it again? What do you mean? The Wasn't there a title? Oh, for be, behavioral finance. Behavioral finance. Yeah. I, I talk yeah. about it uh, in a, a chapter or two um, in the book and uh, looking at periods like uh, 2008 where the market has, well, 2007, 2008, where what you see is people start to invest and they do well and they tell their friends how well they're doing and they want a part of that. So they jump in and it becomes kind of this euphoric thing of let's, we're all just making money and there is no actual basis in reality in terms of the valuations of the investments. It's just everybody's getting in. And then when that starts to topple, you know, as as people start to take their profits, it starts to slow and then turn. And then people tend to be in denial initially of, oh, well, you know, this is just temporary. Look how well it's been doing. And then in, more people start to get out. And um, as it continues, more and more people start to panic. The media latches onto it and spreads the panic. So more people are informed and they panic and they start selling. So it starts this kind of uh, spiral effect, whether it's up or down of what, what you end up with is panic selling. And part of what happened in like 2008 is you also had uh, some different um, technology that kicked in that was uh, your algorithms that trigger trading that that hit. And once you, you surpassed a certain point of losses, they automatically sold regardless and that spurred more selling. But it, it fed into the overall psychology of it. And what I'm getting at is if you look at periods like 2008, there were companies that did perfectly fine. They had no issues. They did really well. Their stock still suffered just because everybody sold everything. They weren't rationally deciding, oh, well, this is a good investment still. This is a bad investment at this point. You know, the, the tech bubble, okay, you, you got out of tech, but that doesn't necessarily mean that this um, – manufacturer of tractors was suffering for any particular reason. Sure. You see what I mean? And so, yeah. but everybody just blankets their selling process and the, the media makes things infinitely worse. Um, so, so it's a very irrational period that has nothing to do with actual valuations for the most part. Um, so that all falls under behavioral finance as well. Okay. Well, those are those are really good points. All right. So those would be a number of different ways of evaluating a particular company, so an individual security. And you can use that for evaluating their stock or their bonds. The, the general process is the same. It's about what you're investing in, uh, what your time frame is, and what you want to focus on. So, again, I talked about uh, my strategy is long-term large cap domestic equities tends to be a value and dividend focus. You might be investing in growth companies. You might want to invest in international. So what you utilize for each piece can vary quite a bit. And you might want to be investing in preferred stocks as opposed to common stocks or uh, you know the bonds you might alter a little bit or you might want to do convertible bonds instead of traditional bonds. So each of those valuations can uh, vary to a certain degree what you're focusing on and which type of analyses you're going to be completing. Uh, one other thing I wanted to cover, though, was how you might want to evaluate like um, 
if you're if you're not investing in individual securities, but you're you want to evaluate, say, a mutual fund or an exchange traded fund, so that you can get broad diversification, but you're not having to pick each of the individual the underlying assets. Okay. Um, to evaluate those, there's a couple of different things that you can look at. If it whether it's a mutual fund or an ETF, you want to make sure first and foremost that that particular mutual fund or ETF is going to fit the particular sector, the uh, asset class that you are trying to target. They might say that they are, but you want to look at some of the underlying holdings to make sure that that is the case. If you're buying into a large cap fund and they have 10, 20% invested in small caps, that really doesn't fit the bill. Um, you know, whether it's international, domestic, you, you, you want to make sure that they're actually following what they say they're supposed to be targeting because otherwise it's going to throw your portfolio out of whack. Right. Uh, another thing that we've talked about is the in expenses. Expense is the biggest thing that you can tr- control when investing. Mutual funds tend to be more expensive than exchange-traded funds. Individual securities, the advantage there is the only you're getting hit with trading costs most likely, but there are no internal expenses associated with buying individual stocks. Whereas the ETFs and the mutual funds have internal expenses that have to do with their you know, cost of trading, their, their companies, their uh, managers, all of that. So the cost is something to focus on. And then another aspect that you want to focus on is the manager, especially if it's a mutual fund. You want to look at who the manager is, what their tenure is, and if there's style drift. So that goes back to that first uh, comment that I made about whether they're investing in the asset class that you want. But as far as the manager is concerned, if you're looking at a uh, a mutual fund, for example, that's done you know pretty well over the last ten years, it's a viable investment option that has you know low costs. It fits all the you know all the check marks that you want. But they just brought in a brand brand new manager, so the manager that all that those last ten years is based on is no longer relevant they just if they traded out all of their analysts their manager everything's been flipped that that historical info is largely irrelevant so things like that are are what you want to look at um, okay so you're you're saying that when you're when you're doing the evaluations for these formulas and you're you're looking at these things to just just to you know put a bow on it like i like to then you're also addressing the uh the costs that are behind it in itself and the people that are running it, because even if the formulas and the purchase for what you're looking at is good, then then underlying things might need to take you might need to take those into consideration. Specifically as well. for mutual funds and ETFs. Okay. If you're doing individual stocks, then this this is not what you're looking at. Okay. You don't. Yeah. There there is no manager associated with the individual stocks. There is right. no. Uh, you know. Now you might look at the CEO of the individual company. You know, you might look at their uh, board of directors if there's been lots of changes there. That that could impact your investment decisions. Absolutely. Sure. You know, looking into the, the annual reports and seeing what's changed and what they're looking for in the future. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I think those are those are good points. I always, I always find myself going through these and then at the end of it going, oh, yeah, I wouldn't have thought of that. Thanks, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. the goal. That's the goal. You know, like I was like I was talking about with you earlier. I feel like I feel like with investing, I'm just I'm just this this pit bull, and you just you're just like controlling me, and then you like point me a direction, and you go. <laughs> I feel like I feel like that's that's pretty accurate. 
So. Yeah, we should have been recording that earlier. That's a good, <laughs> good conversation. It, it, you know, it was a good conversation, but I, uh, I get the feeling there would have been a lot more uh, bleeps and blanks in that conversation that I would have had to <laughs> edit that I wasn't particularly interested in doing. So <laughs> that's fair. Okay, so. great. Well, are we, are we missing anything? Are we, are we looking pretty good? Is that a good, good? No, I think that's all? a good, good great. wrap up. So probably opens up a bunch more questions and. Like I said, have said before, if somebody wants more info on a particular area, let us know. We'll we'll do a podcast dedicated to that particular subject. Yes, always always open to all of those things. And uh, I'd I'd have to go back and look at the lesson plan to figure out what we're doing in the future here. But we'll you know we'll figure it out. What what are you guys going to do? You know, control what I do? The the master editor? I think not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, we, we've got stuff planned. So come back for right. the next one, whatever blank thing is. But <laughs> thank you again for taking the time to listen to us and taking the time to want to better yourselves here on the Truth About Investing Back to Basics. My name is Chris Holling. And I'm Sean Cooper. And we will catch you next time. Podcast disclaimer, disclaimer. The disclaimer following this disclaimer is the disclaimer that is required for this podcast to be up and running and fully functioning and moving forward. This is going to be the same disclaimer that you will hear in each one of our episodes. We hope you enjoy it just as much as we enjoyed making it. All content on this podcast and accompanying transcript is for informational purposes only. Opinions expressed herein by Sean Cooper are solely those of Fit Financial Consulting, LLC, unless otherwise specifically cited. Chris Halling is not affiliated with Fit Financial Consulting, LLC, nor do the views expressed by Chris Halling represent the views of Fit Financial Consulting, LLC. This podcast is intended to be used in its entirety. Any other use beyond its author's intent, distribution, or copying of the contents of this podcast is strictly prohibited. Nothing in this podcast is intended as legal, accounting, or tax advice and is informational purposes only. All information or ideas provided should be discussed in detail with an advisor, accountant, or legal counsel prior to implementation. This podcast may reference links to websites for the convenience of our users. Our firm has no control over the accuracy or content of these other websites. Advisory services are offered through Fit Financial Consulting, LLC, an investment advisor firm registered in the states of Washington and Colorado. The presence of this podcast on the internet shall not be directly or indirectly interpreted as a solicitation of investment advisory services to persons of another jurisdiction unless otherwise permitted by statute. Follow-up or individualized responses to consumers in a particular state by our firm in the rendering of personalized investment advice for the compensation shall not be made without our first complying with jurisdiction requirements 
or pursuant an applicable state exemption. For information concerning the status or disciplinary history of a broker-dealer, investment advisor, or their representatives, a consumer should contact their state securities administrator. This has been a test of the emergency disclosure system. <laughs> Don't don't let the the oh don't let the screen door hit you where the good Lord split you. Yep. Uh, if brains were leather, you wouldn't have enough to saddle a June bug. <laughs> I like that one. Uh, You'll get uh, quite a few different hits. I'm starting Dang to think phone. you're doing that on purpose. I'm, I might start leaving them into the podcast. Because you know. The fact you is, have left them in. You left them in last I, time. I, I probably did, but like, you know, so that the the beauty of editing is I can take a block and just remove it, and then people are like, "Wow, how do they have such great formulated thoughts? They never have a moment of spacing out or being confused or, or <laughs> right. have anything happen because because the magic of editing just allows that to happen." And uh, I I might just I might just leave them in there. You know, maybe. Maybe just uh, you know, oh, look, did you did you guys know that Sean's not perfect? I uh, I didn't know that, but uh, here's here's an example of of Sean not being perfect. There's plenty of evidence for them knowing I'm not perfect. It's just <laughs> <laughs> now it's I I'm I'm it's on purpose at this point. It's I'm yep. This welcome welcome to the <laughs> to the Sean's not perfect show. All right.